Is there a part of the body that's supposed to be the worst part, like the most unpleasant? I don't know. I didn't ask. How could you not ask that? I don't know. When they say next time we're going to do your, your stomach or whatever. Uh, yeah, stomach would suck. I, would, I wanted to get my back done really badly. Yeah, no, that my, sounds awful. Really? Yes, I back. Think, I think in my back, like, there's just so much, like, knotted muscle there that I'm like, oh, that would probably feel good. Well, that's exactly why it seems like it would be difficult. Like, I just, I just relate it to where it's supposedly more painful to get a tattoo like back tattoos are supposed to be really painful because you have lots of muscle and your skin is really tight on your back whereas like if you were to get like a belly tattoo Mm. even if you were lebron james it would probably hurt (laughs) less than a back tattoo right i love your your like quickness to bring up your calves yeah my calves exactly have you been watching your blue jays at all uh have you been watching your blue jays they're the same team i guess so did they play today uh no no they, they play tomorrow friday tomorrow's thursday uh the day after tomorrow <laughs> okay. friday seems like they're on a little hiatus then yeah because they they had to win their series and then they had to wait for the other team to win their series and then they just decided okay we're starting it again on friday and these are the semifinals. yeah it's basically the winners of of the next two series will play each other create the, the world series they will create the world series wouldn't that be something yeah, it'd be pretty crazy. Although we got this far this time last year, didn't we? Yes. And this is where we lost. Yes. So what is the likelihood that we'll be able to keep it going? I, I mean, it seems like they're just climbing. Like, again, not a huge baseball head. Right. But but they're kind of like, there's a lot of momentum behind them right now. But there kind of is, too, for Chicago, uh, not Chicago, uh, for Cleveland. Although, I kind of think, I don't know. I think of... I think if the Blue Jays did what they did last series, they're going to win. Not to get ahead of ourselves, but can you imagine if Toronto won a major sporting event? Honestly, yeah, that would be you, crazy. Can you imagine how Toronto is going to behave over that? The thing that I think is like, it's so crazy that they won it in like 92 and 93. Really? Yeah. Like back I, to back. I have a, yeah, they're back to back World Series champions. I have a little um, like thing that my parents bought me when I was like four, which would have been 1993 yeah after they won the second world series which was like a little blue jays mounted poster kind of thing with right. the whole roster on there okay yeah it's still up in my parents bedroom i mean in my <laughs> my my room of my parents house It'd in your weird, preserved but... bedroom yes at your parents place pretty preserved they're starting to take they took down some of like the kobe bryant like magazine uh <laughs> things that i'd like glued on there yeah. and, like paul pierce stuff and shaquille o'neal and alan iverson right that's but the sports banner that's still around the room that's yeah that's definitely still there just like sports 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 <laughs> is, then, is it like one of those waist-high wallpaper yes, things that was popular in the 90s that's exactly what yep. it is i had a cowboy one and you know what oh nice yeah and you know what kind of paint is under it no like sponge paint Oh my god! Do you, do you remember that at <laughs> so all? You like take a sponge and you dip it in paint. Yes. And you just lightly dab just it on the wall. Dab it all over to the create place. a texture. Yep. And that was like the cool thing to do then. My childhood bedroom would still be preserved if my parents hadn't moved out of my childhood home right. two years ago. So now there's like a room. The, the rare occasion I go and sleep there, there is a room that is technically my room, and it's referred to mostly as my room. Okay. But it's really just a room that has just a bed and an empty dresser in it. Right. Like none of my stuff is in there. Yeah. And and the, even the bed is not my bed because my bed is here. Yeah. And just to get my goat, my dad will refer to it as the spare room. <laughs> nice. And so my comeback is always that I'm not the spare, I'm the heir. Oh, uh, nice. And wow. Ro- and Ross is the spare. That's but- a very like 
that's a very like I don't know. I want to compare that to a celebrity that would say, "I'm not the spare, I'm the heir." That's like <laughs> that's like a Kanye West esque thing to say. Yeah, you're right. I am in many ways so much like Kanye West. I could I could almost hear Jay Z be like, oh, "I'm not the spare, I'm the heir." <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've talked about your your medical situation. Yes, we covered sports. Done. We've already wiped out the first five minutes of the podcast. Although we haven't done SNL roundup. What okay, well we should talk about that. Then. Yeah. Uh, by and large getting really good reviews for the first two episodes yeah of the season and great so far uh, amazingly they had their their um their ratings high mm-hmm. this past weekend with lin-manuel oh really since like 2008 wow how is that possible it's an election year i think people just want to tune in and kind of see what their take on everything is because be remember right. they they did the whole primetime special thing last time yeah where it was seth meyer's they they did basically like an hour long weekend update on Thursday nights at nine. Oh yeah, for a few weeks in a row. Are they gonna do that this year? Uh, kind of getting down. No, to it. I don't think so because they they actually started. I think they started the year a little bit later, or maybe they were doing that while it was going on. Maybe, but that was I think like one of the most powerful SNL years because that was the Tina Fey as Sarah oh, Palin thing. Absolutely. Although the, they're they're really. They pulled it together this year. Like it's it's fortunate that they had their lull a couple years before this yeah. lunatic election, right? Because if they were having a dud year, it could really put a damper on SNL's reputation for the next little while. Yeah. But that they have Kate McKinnon right now, who everybody's kind of in accordance is the SNL star of the last five years, right? Which you're still not a fan of her, and I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that. I think she's probably cool and she's talented, <laughs> yeah. But I just don't think she's as talented as everyone says. Right. Like it's cool that she won the Emmy. I wouldn't take that away from her, but everybody's just like, she's a godsend. She's yeah. the funniest person I've ever seen on television, and that's preposterous. I will say she did a great job in making me laugh in Ghostbusters. You saw Ghostbusters? I just saw it this past weekend, and huh. I was pretty okay with it. Like I, like, I thought it was pretty funny. How does this relate back to the several conversations we had about Ghostbusters earlier in the podcast life? I don't think I thought that I was ever going to watch it, but I had some people over at my place, and they said, oh, yeah, let's watch Ghostbusters. And like right off the bat, it got me in, in kind of a uh, mindset of like, oh, this is like a new Paul Feig comedy. So... And it just really didn't stand a chance. Like even, I think we said this before, like if it was, even if it was as funny as Bridesmaids, yeah. nobody would ever say that. But and the, therefore it would just not be as funny as Bridesmaids. But the trailer wasn't even funny. Like, no, did you, like it had probably the worst trailer ever. Was it as racist with the Leslie Jones character as it appeared it might be? Uh, no, I don't think so. No more than like. Hold it, that thought. Okay, shit. Mia, stop it. For God's sakes, Mia. Stop it. <laughs> you know, I thought maybe we could just talk through it and it would stop. And it just kept getting You're louder. you crazy. <laughs> just scratching a, a my, rug. Or... My shoes. Is it your shoe? Yeah. Uh, I Sorry, I should have put them up on the fridge like always. Keep talking. So, yeah, I think Leslie Jones was basically just being herself. And like like she is on Weekend Update Saturday Night Live. Like, right. It's very much just like Leslie Jones. Did it strike you as a movie that needed to be made? No. That's a pretentious thing to say because no movie needs to be made. Yeah, like that's the thing. If I'm happy that they made it. Sure, sure. sure. I'll say that. I think think we also probably agreed before that it couldn't possibly be as bad as everybody was saying it was going to be. I will say during some of the during some of the like key like 
I guess, fight scenes in it. Mm-hmm. Some parts were a little corny in that. Okay. Um, but I would say 90% of the movie I really, really liked. Well, this is the thing they might have been able to turn into a big franchise if it wasn't just so reviled right from Jump Street. They, yeah. they want to distance themselves from this now. I think so. But, and that's fine. But Kate McKinnon was super funny in it. And actually, everyone was really funny in it. Maybe the second funniest person in it was uh, Liam Hemsworth. I've heard that. He was so funny. What do you think? Is that true? Like, what do you think it is about, about these people who are good actors, who are obviously beautiful looking, and this works with both men and women, when people say they're so funny, are they rated on a different scale? Like, I remember Amy Schumer saying something. She was complaining about some guy who had some guy she knew got to sit next to Kate Upton at a basketball game. And mm-hmm. his defense was, no, you'd be, you'd be surprised. She's actually really funny. And Amy Schumer said, no way she's funny. Yeah. Like the point being like, you're just giving her that she's funny because she wasn't as vapid as you thought she might right. be. And you're, you're, you have a lower standard for funny. Well, he did a good job of acting in the funny that was probably written for him. Of course. Um, but you also don't expect, you don't give any credit to actors in that way when they're in more i guess serious roles he's the fucking lead in thor yeah but like you know but thor never is really, a comedy you've never really seen him in a like full-on bang-up comedy you've seen him deliver kind of like dry lines in right. thor but. yeah he's never done slapstick before yeah this movie yeah yeah that's it was fair. really funny yeah. yeah well and then i guess i'm thinking of uh brad pitt and burn after reading which is a weird reference for me because i don't care for that movie but sure. i remember thinking before he got shot in the head that he was hysterically funny in that movie. Really? Yeah, and just like objectively, like really pulling it off yeah. funny. Yeah. And I'm sure there are better examples. Well, I've said that when, when I see like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck do stuff, like the Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Tom Brady little video where they're both fighting over like who's Tom Brady's best friend. Is this new? Yeah. Okay. It's for like one of their charity organizations that they have going on, but they're both so funny in it. Yeah. Like, and they're, you know, Neither of them are really comedians, but th- you could tell that they were just like, hey, let's make this video and wrote something up. And Yeah, that's a good example. They were good in it. They did a cool thing this week, although I don't know a lot about it. I think John Krasinski was at the helm. They staged Goodwill Hunting. Oh, like, really? They both turned up, and I think Casey Affleck turned up, and maybe some other people just filled in, but um, they did like an on-the-stage reading of the movie, of the script. Really, and that's kind of cool. Like I, I know I've that's heard awesome. about. I know I've heard about other people doing it too. Jason Reitman was a guy who would like rent out a theater off Broadway. Sure, that's cool. Bring and in just read like Juno or whatever. Exactly. Well, not even that. It would be more like I'll bring in Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler, and we'll do The Princess Bride. Oh, cool. And like they'll sell tickets for a ton of money, and all the money right. for the charity. But like, I, I, wouldn't you just adore to go to that? Of course. And they improvise awesome. and they do the voices. And sure. They, yeah. And there's not a lot of rehearsal to it because they're allowed to have the script out there with them. Yeah. It's just a casual, intimate thing. Right. My sister, the once upon a time, saw, saw someone famous. Like, in New York, they had this series for a little while where it was, like, famous people reading other people's books. So, okay. like, sometimes comedians would read, like, like political, like, like Bill O'Reilly's book or something. <laughs> just something that's totally opposite of who they are. And it would be funny for that reason. It would be ironic. Yeah, it would be like funny and ir- in an ironic way, I guess. Just some of the lines that they're saying with conviction. Yeah. <laughs> that that are so ridiculous. That's cool. Yeah. 
spoiler alert! This show show explores television content that's been available for consumption for quite some time. If a spoiler or two slips into the conversation, well, you were warned. Here is this week's show show with Sweets and Slaney. That's cool. Yeah. Do you want to start with Westworld? Yes. All right. Okay. I'm super stoked on Westworld. My God. I mean, there's it's almost like there's a new show to talk about every week on this podcast. I know. A new one that people are jazzed about. Maybe we do a new show every week with an older show that's and on the list. Do it as often as it works out, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Westworld is the new one. J.J. Uh, Abrams and uh, Jonathan Nolan. Yep. They're kind of the EPs, and then there's some other woman as well. Yep. Uh, it's, it, what is this show? I just watched the pilot. You just watched the pilot? Okay. What is it? So apparently it's based off a movie. Yeah, it's based off a movie that Michael Crichton wrote. Right. So it's and interesting. He did, he did like Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which is what Blade Runner was based off. Well, and more notably Jurassic Park. He wrote right. he wrote the novel Jurassic Park, right. which is why it was funny to me that he seems to have a very niche affinity for like amusement parks that are more than they appear to be. Yeah. You know what? Is that the did Michael did Michael Crichton even do? Blade Runner? I don't know if he did Blade Runner, but I know they approached this show wanting to give it a Blade Runner feel. Okay. I read that. Yeah. So okay. Well, sh- it, it, I, I feel like it was then. Hmm. Anyway. But he died in 2008, so he has no affiliation with this show. Right. They tried to get him to reboot it a while ago, and he refused. And then they tried to get Quentin Tarantino to reboot it. Whoa. And in the, like the last half hour of the pilot you can see how that would have worked yeah there's some real bloody sure. stuff totally um i don't know if i don't know if it was around when he was starting to plan out django and he decided well i've got a western already yeah. figured out so i don't need to do that yeah and i'm Plus, not he sure he likes to write his own thing i don't know that he would have the attention span for a tv show yeah that's that's like, probably true too do an entire i mean god who am i to say what his drive is like because obviously it's insane he's written and directed so many movies but true but i've even heard quentin talk about how he still believes more strongly in the in the medium of film over television right and not to discredit what television has become because we're living in a golden age of that but he really really values the sanctity of movies right and so i don't know if he's ever had his name attached to a tv show like i don't know how much work jj abrams did on westworld right i don't think he's like showing up every day to work on Westworld, no. but has has Quentin Tarantino ever done something similar for a TV show? Just had his name attached to it, well, like he Scorsese <laughs> does with Boardwalk. I was thinking about this the other day. No, I don't think in the same way. Right, but he was really obsessed with CSI when CSI was big. Really, and he he wrote and directed an episode of uh, CSI. Quentin Tarantino, yeah, is it considered like a cult favorite? That episode, yeah. No, I don't think so. I just remember watching that episode because I, I was just getting into, within the last two years before that, at the time I was in junior high and I was getting into Quentin Tarantino pretty hard and like had watched Kill Bill and Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs. Does it feel then, like his work? Um, Not as much, but there's definitely like the most violent thing that's ever happened on that show, which is like a man's head exploding uh, happens in that episode. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of disappointing. I almost feel like that could have been a big television event. And well, I think it was at the time. Sure. And maybe it is to people who are really into CSI. Right. But that fad lasted, I think like, well, obviously it lasted a long time, but yep. for me, it seemed like three years before I kind of tapped out of csi i mean i never was was into csi because it was so graphic or at least there was there was what my dad and brother would call the Colin scene before right. the the credits kicked in right. like they would find the body um 
so it was never really my cup of tea, but I remember when it was huge for a couple years. Yeah. It was between American Idol and CSI. They were right. just ratings domin- dominatrixes. <laughs> they were ratings dominatrixes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, speaking of Colin moments. Yeah. How, how did Westworld affect you? Uh, I mean, I found it kind of troubling at times. Yeah. It didn't like make me sick or sad for the human race. Right. But it was interesting because it was more... It was more dystopic than, say, The Night Of, which was the pilot that really troubled me recently. Right. It was more dystopic. It was more existential Mm -hmm. and more of like a commentary thing, which tends to be what science fiction is all about. Yeah. It's like talking about what humans are, what they're worth, and and our essentially our our expiration on this planet. Yeah. Right? So for those who haven't, seen or like know that much about Westworld yet because there's only been two episodes out. It's basically like Westworld is like an amusement park a la Jurassic Park, but um, it's filled with droids that are living in a Western world. Supremely lifelike characters. Super sentient droids. Yes. Such that like, this is James Marsden. Is that his name? James Marsden and, and Evan Rachel Wood are the droids. Right. Yeah. Amazing. And and they're yeah really good in it, um, and there's a whole there's like hundreds of droids in this or probably thousands. And Actually, they're called hosts. Hosts because they host your experience at the theme park. Right. Yes. And they don't know that they're droids, and if they find out they're droids, they kind of have to be like it's called them being breached. Yes. And they have to be retired, rebooted, which is basically and... like put in a holding cell <laughs> forever. Yeah. yeah. Um, but. The whole point of the park is like rich people go there to basically, you know, shoot people and sleep with hookers and all that, all those sorts of uh, guilty pleasures, I guess. The theme is you're living in the old West. Yeah. In the wildness of like an old, um, old California West town where the roads are dirt and Mm -hmm. The men are all drunk and right. Exactly, forty thousand dollars a day to spend your time at Westworld. Yep, and you find out pretty quickly that Ed Harris's character is someone who's apparently paid a bunch of money to be in this world mm-hmm. and is like, you know, like murdering and raping people and going on a bit of a rampage. Okay, but he's a human. He's a human, and he's murdering people for real. He's murdering. No, he's murdering droids. Okay. Like, he's still keeping it to droids. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, but why? Well, you find out more about that in the second episode. Gotcha. Um, but it seems like he thinks that there's a deeper level uh-huh. to Westworld. And he's like, it almost seems like he's trying to beat the game. What oh. his motivation for that is, I don't know. Okay. But you get the the feeling from the second episode that he's like a super rich guy. Because a guy like brings him up on a tablet and was like, "Hey, this guy just shot like fifteen people. Like, mm-hmm. do we need to slow him down or like bring someone in to do anything?" Is Ed Harris the guy who kills Evan Rachel Wood's dad in the opening scene? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Really scary looking motherfucker. Totally, man. Yeah. He's been in a bunch of bunch of stuff. Like, um, there's like a few Stephen King movies that he's been in. I think. Right. And um, yeah, he is just a solid actor. He's probably gonna win an Emmy for this show. I think. You don't think it's premature to say that? No. Okay. It's just whenever Ed Harris, like, you know, Ed Harris being in an HBO show. Yeah. I, my thoughts are just probably going to get an Emmy. 
it is pretty pretty wild. It's pretty out there. It's only yeah. two episodes in, right? Yes. And yeah. they've got the the first full season already mapped out. Yeah. Jonathan Nolan said an interesting thing about this show. I'm going to get this quote right. He referred to it as the next chapter of the human story in which we stop being the protagonists. Right. It feels like a, a like a longer episode of Black Mirror. What's Black Mirror? Uh, did I never tell you about that show? It's it's kind of like things that could conceivably happen in the future. Okay. And there's three episodes, I think, each season so far, and there's been three seasons. And they're all individual stories. They're all individual stories. You did like tell me about independent that. Independent of one another. And Very bizarre. And there's one episode where, you know, this girl loses her husband, and they basically, like, you can fill out all your information about your lost loved one online. Mm-hmm. And then they start, like, a chat service with them. And then oh. you can upgrade and actually get like the droid version of that. And you can have your your long and you lost can love have back. Your love back. Whoa! Yeah, that sounds like a Chuck Palahniuk short story. Yeah, it's yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it and every episode is like that mind bending, where you're like, what would that be like? And it doesn't seem that impossible. That's like, so upsetting. The craziest one I think I might have told you about it, possibly on the podcast, was. One that Robert Downey Jr. actually bought the rights to, and it's called The History of You. Yes. And in this one, they all have um, like a contact lens that records everything. Uh-huh. And it basically chronicles this couple that ends up breaking up, and he just becomes obsessed with like the videos that are... And so Downey wants to do like a big cinematic thriller version of this? I think so. Cool. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I know he just bought the rights for it. All That's right. all I know. So nobody else can have it. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Maybe he's just going to produce something. And... You could sit on it for a while. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. Well, something you said a second ago about about Black Mirror, I think applies to Westworld as well, which is that it really, it it's obviously, like I said, it's dystopic and it, it is science fiction, but science fiction often implies this couldn't actually happen in real life. Right. And a lot of Westworld is not as far out there as you'd like to think. Right. Like, we, we often live in a world that's that's still about five years behind where technology actually is, mm-hmm. and we forget what's happening behind closed doors. Like, they can create cyborgs that don't look like Evan Rachel Wood, but they come pretty close. <laughs> right. And in our lifetime, there will be the the moral quandary of, of sex with robots. That is the thing that's going yeah. to happen in our lifetime, and right. if that's having a negative impact on human relationships. Right. Ex Machina was another movie that really highlighted this whole thing. Did you see that? I I started it. Yeah. I think I watched like 20 minutes and I was like, I'm not in the right space. Yeah. (laughs) You need to be in a bit of a mood, I think, to watch that. Yeah. Yeah. I want to because I remember it getting like a lot of cool attention. It was really... Actually, one of the guys that was... The the other main guy that was in it was also in Black Mirror. Who was that? Um, He's a... What the British guy in it that goes to uh donald gleason from yeah from star wars and a bunch of other things yeah yeah yeah, yeah the yeah. ginger guy right he's in harry potter exactly and, yes yeah. that's exactly who it was he's a good actor he's a great actor he's gonna turn up in some things more and more i think yeah and his uh his dad is brandon gleason from like in bruges oh really and uh he was also in harry potter he played yeah. Mad Eye moody i've seen in bruges but i don't know who he was in it uh i don't know you know. right. uh, I had a point to make about uh, cyborgs and how... Sorry, that... I, I, we, we said ex machina and I, I said sex with robots. Yeah. And... No, that wasn't what threw me off. It was a little bit before that. Okay. But anyways, 
yeah, it, it's one of those one of those shows that just it's really got my attention. Cool. Yeah, that's great. I'm all about it. I'm all in on that. I'm all in on Atlanta. Like Westworld is my new every Monday. I'm like, oh yeah, there's yeah. a new episode of Westworld. Like, so nice. I, I really thought that this podcast was going to overwhelm me with shows I was excited about. Yeah, and it's. It's kind of worked too well. Like often I'll, I'll I'll watch a pilot of a show and I'll be like, this show is fucking great. But more and more I'm starting to see that I'm usually wrong when I say I'm going to keep watching it. Right. Like I, I still believe that I'm going to finish watching Mr. Robot and the Americans and Bloodline. Right. But I haven't watched any more of any sure. of those shows. <laughs> yeah. And like time has passed. So why haven't I done it yet? Mm. You know? Yeah. And what did, what did you think about Westworld overall? Would you watch more no. of that? No, it's not really made for me, but no. I thought it was cool. Right. And I gave it a shot. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, I, th- I think it's just a little, it's a little confusing. I mean, I was kind of confused. Yep. But sure. you're supposed to be in a pilot, especially a pilot like that. Right. It's supposed to make you go, wait, what? And that happened. But I don't know. May- maybe if it like really catches on and it becomes a thing that, you know, how I don't like to be left out of pop cultural stuff. Sure. Uh, maybe I'll I'll keep going with it. Well, I think the other thing that highlights, and you've probably heard it on like other podcasts and stuff, is the possibility of simulation theory. Yes, you know that. Like like we're all living in a simulation. Yes, I wanted to bring that up too. About I think uh, Elon Musk said something about that recently. Yeah. About how as soon as we perfect artificial intelligence to the point where there's very little telling the difference, if any at all. Yeah. We have no reason to believe that we haven't been artificial intelligence all this time. Right. Like that hasn't already happened. He yes. Says. Like statistically, like that must have already happened. Right. Well, and it's kind of the same in the Matrix as yeah, well. Like exactly. We, we have no reason to think that this hasn't been the illusion that we've been living all this time. Right. And that's very troubling. Isn't that crazy? So, and and the thing about it is it's super troubling for the droid, like the droid in the end of episode one that sees a picture of the real world. Yes. And he just fucking can't get over it right he's like where is this girl right and for some reason the other droid like can't really or the other host can't really like he's like oh that's that's nothing dad like i don't i don't see anything like i don't really notice anything about it but he's just like what so is that why they have to retire the hosts once they find out that they're actually just simulations because it's so hard on them yeah, they're so sentient that they understand. Like, like, whoa! Well, this... wouldn't it wouldn't it just brutally depress you to learn that none of this is real? And... It, well, exactly, and yeah. that's that's what got me thinking so much about this show so far. Did you ever see The Village? M Night Shyamalan. No, well, I saw, I heard all about it. Yeah. Like, I know exactly how the story goes. You know the twist. Yeah, in the end, I, and I love it. Right, I. I, I don't know that I was able to sit through the whole movie. I found it kind of boring. I think it was too. So I'll fill I'll fill in the listeners because it's been ten years and Eminem Shyamalan is not relevant anymore. Sure. The village takes place in like this this like old 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 day pioneer town, like this little small village in the middle of the woods, and um, it, it's seemingly before they have any form of technology. They're almost like the Amish. Right. But they're living in the past and they all live in this little community and they can never go into the woods because there are monsters living in the woods. Right. And so what you discover um, towards the end of the movie is that there are no monsters in the woods. That's just what they tell people so nobody ever goes into the woods and learns that on the other side of the woods there's a fucking freeway because it's the present. <laughs> right. And that's kind of a cool twist. Yeah. And, and to learn that, to be one of those people, 
it it w- might be the premise for a really cool fantasy Nickelodeon movie, right. or it might completely torture you for the rest of your short life. See, there's a show that I or there's a movie that I think should have been a show. Yeah, you know, like imagine how much life you can get out of that. I wonder a little bit though about shows that have twists versus movies that have twists because yeah. I mean. Tarantino could probably speak to this because he fundamentally knows the differences. But a TV show, I mean, right now we're kind of living in a world where a TV show is just a super long movie. That's kind of what they like to make them to be. But these episodic things where suddenly you re- you make a reveal mm-hmm. that's so cataclysmic that it completely rewrites everything that's happened in the story. Yes. Right? With a twist. Like I think about in- like Mr. Robot. There might be something like that in Mr. Robot. Oh, sorry, yeah. Okay. Don't spoil. Right. Um, but like in Mad Men, when you find out he's not Don Draper. The thing about Mad Men is that was like the one thing when it got to that kind of stuff. That's what made me want to keep watching. It wasn't about who got like the Don account or whatever or the Palm Olive account. It was about right. like, you know, what's actually going on with Don Draper's life? Who is he? Well, and then that is an example of a twist that enriches the story and and helps you to have a stronger relationship with it. But there are other cases, and I I wish I could think of one. Uh, Maybe Lost, where they introduce time travel. Sure, yeah. Although I I wasn't bothered by that the way some people are. Yeah. Um, But there have to be times where people see something in a show and they go, all right, I'm out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, So I don't know if that's going to happen with Westworld. It, It certainly remains to be seen. What else has Jonathan Nolan done? Well, I mean, he co-wrote the Batman movies with his brother. Oh, did he? Okay. With his brother, Christopher Nolan. Like, yeah. I, I actually wrote, the first thing I wrote when I took notes is that the Nolan brothers having having created what is largely believed to be the perfect modern superhero franchise, mm-hmm. and that's that's a big statement in a, in a popular culture that's all about superheroes. Yeah. Um, they are the ultimate bro goals. Like when your mom says, go play with your brother and you play Batman, they wrote the best superhero movies. Let's write it. Ever. Yeah. So I feel like he does not get as much credit as. Totally. He doesn't. Not as much as he deserves. Yeah. I mean, his brother's a great director, but I I mean, he might even have a writing credit on like Inception and Interstellar. Memento and and stuff. Yeah. Memento and Prestige and these other perfect movies. Yeah. I, um, I would be interested to see if he's done any other TV. I'm super stoked about it. Like the other thing is. You don't get people like Ed Harris and Anthony Hopkins to agree to TV shows mm-hmm. unless they're really, really good. Like, what does Anthony Hopkins have to gain at this point? You're right. He's not like, you know what? I need to be a TV star, too. He's just like, I love this. You're right, except there is a different definition of what it is to be a TV star nowadays. Like, if you're on a, a popular HBO show, you right. have the best gig in town. Yeah. As opposed to having a movie that opened that did pretty well right but not necessarily the best money like we're still not at that level where like like there's still shows on nbc that i think pay better than hbo probably i mean i i i'm sure it would be very upsetting to see the paychecks on two broke girls versus breaking bad (laughs) yeah yeah you know absolutely but but i'm sure they got paid fine like it's all relative. Right. I really don't know. Mr. Robot's probably a better example because that show's still relatively new. Mm-hmm. Like when they re up in a couple years. Yeah. Like if that show is still going as strong as it is now, they'll probably pay them okay. Yeah. Yeah. I liked the uh the Mr. Robot skit on Saturday Night Live. Hilarious. <laughs> Leslie Jones and the whole uh 
Twitter Twitter hack. Yeah. Pete good. Davidson kind of looks like Rami Malek. He does. I don't <laughs> think people really realize that until he was in that that show. I didn't know. No, exactly. Until he was in that skit. It seems obvious. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. He was he was really good in it too. I think he's gonna be more of a key player this year. Maybe. It's like his third year. I think he's got the jitters out. I think he's a, maybe a little bit more ambitious. Yeah. So I think you might see him step up in a bigger way on Saturday. Do you think he had the jitters? I just think, yeah, I think he probably had some like anxiety issues the first two years. Like it was a bit of a roller coaster because there were some things in the first season that like hit really well. Yes. And then there's that whole thought of like, okay, I got to come back next year and like really. But now I think he's just comfortable there. He's a bit more of a veteran. Like, you know. And how crazy is it to be a veteran at like 23? Right. Yeah. It's bizarre. Yeah. True. Yeah. It's it's weird that there are SNL cast members younger than us. Yes. Doesn't that feel backwards? That does feel backwards. I for probably sure. feel backwards. Although there's a, like a lot that are way older that are still on it. Leslie Jones is in her late 40s. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the craziest. And one. she's an exception too. Yeah. There are. We talked about this recently on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But but you're right. It's becoming more often the case that people get hired when they're 35. Right. Exactly. I, like I think two of the new guys that got hired are definitely in their thirties. Yeah, not in their twenties. They're at getting all. a lot of camera time. They're they're good. Yeah, they're really good. No, I know. I know. Like people really love Taron Killam, and I and I liked him too. But like, I think they're doing a fine job. No, I'm sure they made the right choice. This is the thing about SNL is, as much as you want to write on Facebook, oh, they made a mistake. Right. You really think you know better than the show that's been on for 42 years? Yeah. You never do. Yeah. You know, um, so the next show that we're going to talk about, I think we we pretty much covered everything that we wanted to cover for Westworld. Probably, probably. I mean, yeah, it's, it's I, a mysterious show. We have no idea where it's going to go. I just sat there not knowing what was what was happening, right? And I was entertained, like I was yeah. compelled. I was going, sure. whoa. Yeah. It was cool, and it was also cheaply made. Did you know that? No, they spent. I mean, cheap is relative too, but they spent a hundred million dollars on the whole season. Okay. And so, like, I think they spent that in the pilot episode of Lost. Maybe double that. Like, Seriously? Oh, they spent so much money on the pilot of Lost. Yeah. It was ridiculous. They wow. spent, like, feature film money oh my God. on Lost. Speaking of feature films, uh, the other Hem- Hemsworth brother is, is in Westworld. The, what? Really? Yeah, Luke Hemsworth. The guy who looks like a Hemsworth. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't... When, did, when was he in it? He's... Um, well, in the end, when he's talking to to Dolores and that voice from the from the opening sequence turns out to have been him oh that's like, Liam Hemsworth no that's Liam Hemsworth brother Luke he's their he's their oldest brother oh like, like Liam and and oh. Chris they have a third brother Luke Luke Hemsworth yes Luke Hemsworth okay I've never known him to be in anything so I didn't even know that he was a relation me I'll neither Jen, she'll freak out yeah, well, she was probably already attracted to him, was she not? I don't know. She's probably attracted to everyone on TV. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the way I think of TV. Hey, Jen, there's Anthony Hopkins. What do you think? I'm attracted to him. He's a 10. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> hey, the other one is, and I'm going to sound sensational here, it's it's truly what I think to be probably <laughs> the the from the greatest season of television ever made. <laughs> the greatest season of television? Yeah, the first season of The West Wing. Oh, okay. First season of The West Wing is the best season of television I've ever seen. Really? Fun. It's not even that it's my favorite, although it's up there. It's just the best. Like, yeah. Shawshank Redemption's not my favorite movie, but it's mm-hmm. the best movie I've ever seen. Yeah. And and that's that's true of The West Wing. I feel 
like that makes sense for you. It's it's <laughs> was so condescending. It's no, it's it's uh oddly wholesome. Oh yeah. Like there's no, you know, violence or swearing. It's it's all dialogue driven. Well, yes, except I mean this is a show about the president and the mm-hmm. moral dilemmas that he faces. So sure. there are episodes where he has to elect to bomb a village. And like oh, there, okay. there's, there's dark stuff that happens. Yeah. Like it's a show about moralism. Right. And what to do with your tremendous power, the responsibility that comes with power. Right. Um, and he is a good man and he has good people working for him. Mm-hmm. Um, the only criticism I, I would, I would say is that uh, Sorkin has a tendency to be a little bit, preachy right with his dialogue yeah and, and kind of preach to the choir to that to that point as well yep that you had, had you seen the west wing ever no that was the first episode i ever saw did you like pilot. it i did yeah. yeah i did like it i found it almost like so sorkin-y yeah that well because it's the quintessential sorkin slaney it's right. like that's where it came from. it's that's this is like especially the first two seasons of the show yeah when you see a sorkin parody they are they are taking the the balls off right. of the first two seasons of the west because Wing. there were some scenes where it was literally just like like gilmore girls on coke like yeah so what are you blah, 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 blah. and i was like okay they're talking about like three different things and i'm just trying to follow there's actually multiple conversations going on in the room right now within one conversation yes and they they pause the conversation they're in to go back to the strange thing you said wait did you just say right. yeah yeah no that's a, exactly. that's a sorkin dialogue construct yeah that he definitely likes because it, it charms you i mean mm-hmm. his characters and and i'm he's my teacher right now right he's right my, he's how, my how how is that i meant to ask you while i was watching that show last night it's so fascinating it's so cool like the first thing he said the first lesson he gives is listen i have to apologize for anybody who spent the 90 dollars under any kind of false pretenses that i am anything like the characters i write right and like i it's 30 hours of not 30 hours it's like five hours it's 30 lessons but they could cut it in half Mm -hmm. if you took away all his stuttering he is he is not articulate wow he is not he's charming because i admire him and he has the, the perfect metaphor for everything. Right. But he writes characters who are, who are smarter than him, more charming than him. And, and just in every way more adept than him. Sure. Um, well, he's got time to make it perfect. You can make it perfect on paper. Well, that's right. You know? And, and I think he's talked about a lot in the lessons is the, the criticism that his characters don't speak like real people. And he right. says, first of all, you only notice it because my characters have a particularly recognizable way of speaking. Right. Uh, like in that you could pick out my dialogue from a pile of dialogue, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and I understand what he's saying. He says, but the thing people forget when they say that is that characters and people are not the same thing. Right. Right. Characters, people don't, live the life of a character. They don't go about their day in the arc of a narrative. Mm. Characters and people just happen to look the same. And so that's kind of the excuse he gets around. And the other the other side of the, the coin is, why should you have to watch people talk like real people? Right. You know, this it's is theater, yeah. right? It, it, I may as well take out the ums mm-hmm. and the, oh, did you see CNN last night? And all of the stuff that's superfluous right. to give you the richest thing. And every show does it. Yeah, of course. And he actually probably does it better than a lot of other shows. I mean, than a lot of than a lot of shows. Mm. So I I was a big fan of it. Yeah, like it was one of those things that I watched the whole way through. And like I think you know, watching it with someone 
who didn't think it was going to be as good as it was ended up kind of being entranced in the whole show. Jen thought she was going to be kind of bored? I just thought she was going to be kind of bored. Yeah. Like, she didn't really have any drive to watch it, but I was like, hey, can I just put this on? I'm supposed to watch it for the podcast. Right. And she was like, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, But, like, was reluctant. So, who are the characters that are present in, in the first episode? Because it changes up pretty quickly. Right. So, it's... I mean, Rob Lowe is kind of, right from the get-go, Rob Lowe is going to be your main character of this series. Right. And it's not uncommon that his his characters are writers. Right. Um, but but it's not even that clear. Sure. Because um, there's Rob Lowe and there's dude who got in the blow up uh, with the right wing. Yeah, Bradley Whitford. Bradley And he, Whitford. it really becomes his show because around season four, Five, I think Rob Lowe leaves right, the okay. show. And, and Sorkin left after season four, and he tells a story about how he tried, he sat down and he watched the first episode of season five and turned it off right away. Really? Because it was like watching someone make out with your girlfriend. Right. And yeah. so, like, to this day, everybody who's a fan of that show knows more about The West Wing than Aaron Sorkin does. Right. Because he's never watched it. Did it Did it remain good after the, like, was it written to the same? Uh, It was written to sound the same. Right. And so it, it really dips for a little while after he leaves, but yeah. then the last season is excellent again. So how did you get into the West Wing? You know, you're like, like way younger than when that, like you were what, how old when that came out? Uh, I mean, it came out in like 98, 99. 99. I, yeah. I didn't watch it right from the beginning when it was on, no, obviously. I, I watched it towards the end because my parents were watching it and I was just around. Oh, so okay. the first episodes of the show I saw were were long past Sorkin's exodus. Right. But it was also before I really knew what he was right. and who how valuable he was to me. Okay. Um, I'm not really sure what my, my entrance into him was, except for that the year after West Wing ended, my parents wanted to watch Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip because it was Aaron Sorkin and Tommy Shlami's new show. Right. And, I mean, aesthetically, it looks exactly the same. The fonts are the same. Snuffy yeah. Walden does the music. Half the cast is the same. Right. And it was a, about a subject matter that I was just so fascinated in, mm-hmm. which is sketch comedy, late night sketch comedy. Right. So maybe that was my first thing where I was like, wow, this guy is, is my favorite artist ever. Yeah. Um, and then I went back and I watched The West Wing from the beginning. And the first two seasons of The West Wing were done while he was on crack cocaine. Yeah. Like he, he just did tons of crack. Right. And you watch it and you're like, how did you pull that off? That's the best. Does anyone in the show, did he ever write a character who was... Yeah. Well, did you watch cocaine? Studio 60? Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't finish it though. Because the Matthew Perry character develops a pretty bad drug problem oh, gotcha. in the show. Sure. And it's all about how he can't write unless he's on drugs. And meanwhile, he has this relationship with a collaborator and then also a relationship with someone who he loves and they're both, he's hiding it from both of them. It's everything Studio 60 is just Aaron Sorkin writing the West Wing, except the show is different. Right. And was Aaron Sorkin clean at that time? Oh yeah. He was clean after I think the first two seasons of the West Wing. Oh, okay. And then I think... I, I mean, he says contract negotiations are the reason he left the show, but I just think it wasn't as fun for him to write The West Wing anymore because he remembered how fun it was to be high on crack. Right. Right? Yeah. The line he always uses is, you know how you get addicted to crack? You try it. Yeah. He has tons of those. I've said before, I wanted to make a documentary, and this is a documentary that will never be made. But I, I through university and stuff, was like, wouldn't it be interesting to to make a documentary where, like, I'd smoke crack just once and then deal with the results. There's got to be a movie about somebody who tries every drug once. 
Yeah. There's, there's got to be. Yeah, probably. Like with the doctor on site and like. Yeah, well, that and that's what I was talking about. Like, and I, I brought this up to my friend one time and she was like, like talking about like, oh, yeah, I would produce that. And then like you'd be ODing and I'd be like, turn the cameras off, turn the lights <laughs> off. <laughs> and then in the end, they just have to finish it with like title credits about right. Matt Slaney, Matthew Slaney. As it turns out, it didn't go so well. It did not work out. We're here's, still hoping we can get him back. <laughs> yeah, here's why you shouldn't smoke crack. While you're like, clear. This lesson was really strong. Yeah. This lesson was really powerful. Yeah. So was the crack. <laughs> and so, I mean, I guess it works. That's how you... <laughs> so I guess crack, well, it did for Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, but I mean, it can't work for most people. No, I know. Not the same. It uh, it was uh, definitely an interesting look, and it makes you, makes you wonder, like, what kind of investigation was sorkin doing and you probably know into the west wing to make it as realistic as possible well conveniently he'd already written a romantic comedy called the american president which starred michael douglas right and so that was really just about uh, a widowed president who's not unlike jed bartlett he's like he's democrat and he's he's moralistic and he's kind right but he's alone and so he he meets this woman and Mm -hmm. they fall in love but it's just a romantic comedy uh is it an Annette Benning? No, it's not. I forget who it is. All right. It's just an okay movie. It's sweet, but it's yeah. not it's not quite. They filmed uh, the they they actually were able to keep the same uh sound stage for the Oval Office. It's the same one. Oh, wow. Um so Aaron Sorkin is a good example of a writer who does his research. Like he'll he'll say that he is technology illiterate. Right. And I mean he he wrote he won an Oscar for the social network. Like right. all of the computer talk between that movie and the Steve Jobs movie, you would never think this was written by a guy who doesn't know how to turn on a computer. Yeah. And uh, he might be exaggerating that to a certain extent, but he definitely writes about stuff that he doesn't understand. Yeah. And the same can be said for, for Studio 60. I mean, his characters were comedy writers and the show might not have been hysterical mm-hmm. and the sketches of comedy that was were in it might not have been hysterical because he himself is not a comedy writer, but he talks about comedy principles in an academic way. The same way he talks about hacking in an academic way. Right. Well, do you mean a digestible way? Like a way that's easier for the mass to understand? Not necessarily, although sometimes. Yeah. But I just mean like principally, Mm -hmm. he'll... uh, Like I can remember a a scene where um, they're getting ready to do their show on Studio 60. And uh, uh, the Matthew Perry character says to somebody on cue cards, change 15 to 17. Right. In this joke. Yeah. And Bradley Whitford says, yeah, because 17 is a funnier number. And he says, actually, it is. Yeah. And so, like, the, just just Aaron Sorkin understood that there is rhythm right. to comedy. Like, he, he did his research and he went to the, the, the necessary venues to find out what he had to find out to make this authentic. Right. And so yeah. he's, he, he, did, he did research, to answer your question. He did research to know what kind of things they talk about. And even what, even what it looks like, do you think it, besides the Oval Office? I mean, the Oval Office is pretty well documented, so you can kind of stick to stick to the textbook on that. I don't right. know if the rest of it matters that much. Yeah. And the other thing is that the White House changes with every administration. Sure, yeah. Right? Like That's the, true. Stuff gets updated, and, and yeah. who cares, really, what the... Right. That's what, fair. What the, the deputy... Um, speechwriter's office looks like yeah i was just wondering sometimes like they actually make like a carbon copy for some of these movies like they recreated the white house for yeah, this show it's another lesson he talked about i think i think the movie was um 12 angry men what year did that come out 
wasn't it like the anywhere from like the 40s to the 60s? It yeah, I don't know when it was. It might not have been 12 Angry Men, but Aaron Sorkin told a story in my in my classes, my master class, mm-hmm. about how when he was like a young boy, he got to go to the set of a movie that's now famous. And it might have been 12 Angry Men, but maybe that movie's too old for it to have been that. And or maybe it was the 60s. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, but it seems like it was in black and white. If it was in the 60s, that would have been uh, a choice. Yeah, it'd be right on the... Yeah, I think Which so. it might have been anyway. Um, and, and the director uh, insisted that in the garbage can in the room was the newspaper from the day in which their scene was taking place. Oh, okay. And even then, he knew that that was dumb. He's, right. It, like, it, it's, just, it's just a creator's form of the method yeah right like they're never going to show inside the garbage can no it's it's not entirely necessary because it, if the people don't know what the white house looks like then you can show them what the white house looks sure. like this is fiction yeah right yeah. yeah you're right it's it's a it's a uh, it's a graduated version of the method where it's like okay it's so insane you're, you're not even staying in character. You're basically putting the garbage can in character. Well, and take it another step and just make it not dialogue. And yeah. just make it completely unwatchable. Right. So, no, I don't think it mattered that much to make the set that authentic, mm-hmm. that accurate. It looked real to me. You yeah. know, the rooms sure. The rooms that, that you might recognize are the Oval Office and the press room. Yeah. And, I don't know, the Roosevelt room. Do you think the show would have been as popular if the president wasn't so likable for that last 30, well, maybe two minutes of the show? Well, interestingly, uh, Martin Sheen was only supposed to be in four episodes. Right. I remember you saying that. And I was kind of surprised when he was in the first episode because I thought it was just going to be about the staffers. Yeah, well, and it is, but like that was supposed to hammer home the pilot episode and like really make this count. Plus, he was a it was a movie star, so we should put him in the pilot to get people to watch the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but he liked doing the job, and people liked to see him. But you're right; it was going to be a show about the staffers that rarely showed the president, where he became as much of a main character as anyone. Right. And then towards the end of the series, like the series ends with his his second term ending, and they're in the midst of the next election. Right. And Jimmy Smith gets elected. Jimmy Smith is just another character in the show. He's an actor. You'd recognize oh, okay. him. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, I thought they did a very good job with his like two monologues that he just pulls off in the last like five minute and minutes. And everything he says is, is beautiful. Yeah. You know, without stretched fingers, we touched the face of God. Like everything that comes, <laughs> comes off his lips is right. just fucking poetry. But it was also based on Bill Clinton and uh, Kennedy. So, right. so Was I, that in the first episode, With Outstretched Fingers, We Touched the Face of God? I think it's in the third episode. Okay. He has a lot of sweet monologues. Right. You know? Sure. Um, and I don't know if I find those kind yeah. of, like, cringy a little bit because I just know how, like, well-written that is. Yeah. You know, it's not off the cuff. I don't Again, find it, it, I don't find it cringe. I don't find it cringy. It doesn't... It doesn't upset me i know that it's not real no i know but he i guess he's a good enough actor to pull it off too well that's important yeah and and usually there are moments there they're champion moments that make you go yeah that's how i feel too right like when he when he disarms the the right-wing christian fundamentalists that are in his office by like rattling off what the first uh what the first commitment is that's the pilot episode right yep um like that makes you really excited because Mm. he got the higher ground 
and it, it puts you on his side. So you don't really right. care that it wasn't that realistic. It feels good yeah. when somebody wins an argument. Mm-hmm. And he he builds it up. He builds up that argument like it's not going to be, like it's going to be kind of a, a civil tone. And then he, he enters the room very casually. Tells and... them all to get their fat asses out of his office. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. Cool. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's it's an awesome, beautiful show. <laughs> I can't recommend the first, the first two seasons especially. I can't recommend it enough. So would you watch it? you know it's interesting that the very first episode of that show has such a heavy lean on the idea of making public apologies for saying inflammatory political things yeah in in the world that we're living in right like we couldn't be living farther from a west wing world oh my god you know what i think it's one of those things where donald trump is is it's going to be so like it's funny now. It was funny before, and it's going to be really funny after. Yeah, like, like it's going to be like, what the fuck were we thinking? You're so right. Like when the when when the comic strips come out, and when the when the maybe the the movie comes out or whatever yeah. it is, when American Crime Story does a season on them. Yeah, like it's it, you're right. In hindsight, when there's no threat, we'll either find it hilarious or we'll want as little to do with it as possible. Yeah, because. Even as Canadians, it's embarrassing yeah. that we've committed this much time to this. How long do you think they were sitting on this Billy Bush tape to release it like two days before? Basically like on Friday, I think. It came out on Friday. So Saturday Night Live had enough time to do yep. uh, a skit about it. I guess they had found it nine days before. Nine days before. And now... Which is still perfect timing. And then like that, then the debate. Did you watch Saturday. the debate? Uh, I watched... I was flipping back and forth between the Jays game. Oh, right. The Jays game was on. I watched every minute of it. Yeah. And it was just, I couldn't, I couldn't believe that it was a bigger steamroll mess than the last one. Right. I couldn't believe it. Which, and I didn't get the vibe as much, but I was also drinking more because yeah. we had the day off the next day. It was just, it was just incredible. And, and like, it, you mentioned the Billy Bush tape. Like now there's a couple of things I, I feel about that. Like mm-hmm. it, uh, who said it? best was it seth myers was it jost somebody said it really well which is that you know they they suspended billy bush and probably he'll be fired apparently he didn't get along with the today show people anyway but because of this incident he's gonna likely lose his job which means the host of the third hour of the today show has a higher standard than the leader of the free world right um there are these gofundme campaigns now because people are coming after uh the executives and the network behind the celebrity apprentice Mm -hmm. saying, look, we want more of this. We got it once. We know there's B roll of Trump saying other crazy misogynist racist stuff. We want this footage, but it's in, it's in the deal with the network that that stuff never gets out. Like it's signed to protect the network and Donald because back then he was just a game show host. Like he said crazy shit, but it wasn't offensive and it wasn't, and it wasn't dangerous. Um, there are contracts that protect that stuff from getting leaked. So whoever leaks it could get sued millions and millions of dollars. So these crowdsourcing campaigns are to fund the legal fees of whatever access Hollywood Edward Snowden wants to leak the Trump shit. And so I want to see it as much as the next person because it's fucking entertainment at this point. Yeah. But on the other side of the coin is how much proof do you need? Why right. do you need more? I don't even think it's it's that they need more proof. I think 
I think the damage has already been done, but I just think if you can dogpile it on at this point, there's well, no it, chance. It is that. interesting that after all of the crazy things he said, mm-hmm. this is the one that actually troubled a lot of people. Like oh, a, yeah. a, a lot of people were like, yeah, I wish he didn't say that, but I'm going to keep supporting him. And now th- with this one, it's like it was the final straw for a lot of sane right. Republicans. It's the first time that's happened where yep. a bunch of like, like, John McCain, although he was like never really all in on Trump anyway, he was he was kind of considered someone who would have been a good Republican president. Right. But right. Uh, this friggin' Giuliani man is a nutbag. Yeah. Are you kidding me? He's pretty crazy. I remember during the like 2008 election or maybe it was the 2004 election. I remember Chris Rock doing a thing on Saturday Night Live saying like, and we don't know who we want on the Republican side. Giuliani's he was a good mayor but he's kind of like a he's kind of like a what was it it was like a pit bull <laughs> like like yeah he can protect your family but he might also bite your kid's face off <laughs> <laughs> it was something along those lines that's true yeah no it's it's very interesting and it's very telling now I mean, I've always kind of been of the mind, and you're scared to say this out loud because you don't want someone to go, oh, don't be naive. And yes, he's done certainly much better than any any rational-headed person would want to, to think he would do. Mm-hmm. But um, it, I, I've, I've often kind of wondered, maybe this will be like four years ago when it looked like it was going to be neck and neck. And Obama actually like trounced Romney. Do you remember right. that? Like nobody was predicting that he would. Right. He would just eviscerate him like he did. Like I was thinking, maybe it's gonna. Maybe this is the media making it look like it's closer than it actually is. And then I started to kind of drift away from that philosophy, and now I'm starting to think that again. I think at this point, like it can't be that close. Like, I, I, it's not right now. I but think there's it's still like, weeks. I think it's like a seventy thirty outcome at this point yeah and maybe maybe i remember somebody said really well um that it's impossible that the majority who elected a black president twice would allow him to ever be president but the the biggest disservice to the the democrat side or just the level-headed side Mm. is that she's quite polarizing too yeah you know if it was anyone else in blue yeah this would have been over a long time ago even during the the I don't know if we were talking about this last time. Like during the debates, you're like, okay, stop like smiling and laughing so much. She did. She did smile like, and laugh a lot. It just seems so like smug. Like I don't want. I want you to get in. I don't want you to like ruin it by being unlikable. She laughed and smiled and jimmed to the camera a lot in the second debate too. But it didn't come off as as quite as smug because she she saved it for when he would say things like, "When I'm president, you'll be in jail." Right. You know, like that's what dictators say. Yeah. They jail their political <laughs> right. opponents. That's never been said. He I can't said he believe going to jail his opponent. In a he debate. did say that. That's so I, I can't believe more people aren't bringing that up. I guess Actually, because there's Jim, so much Jim, stuff. Jimmy Kimmel brought it up on the Bill Simmons podcast really? the other day. He was like, I couldn't believe it. It was insane. Like the the, the most crazy things were being said. No, oh, I know. And then the whole Ken Bone thing. <laughs> Ken Bone's question was like was lame. I thought his question. Well, I mean. I think his question was like, "Why do people like Ken Bone so much? What is it? People like Ken? Is it ironically? So much? Is it like when you when you when you pat the nerd on the head and you're like, uh, <laughs> look at this guy? I think there's there's so many facets to why people like Ken Bone that I can't explain them all. Okay, so thing the first, the name Ken Bone. 
You just see. You're right. Ken Bone. Come we up definitely on the chuckled screen. at the name Ken Bone. Two. He's wearing like a sweater and is just kind of your quintessential like like Mel Rodriguez and the Last Man on Earth kind of like like right. and there's like this whole story about how he, like, he wanted to wear an olive suit. Yes, and he's the telling pants. that on everything. And he's, he's just, quite funny. Yeah, he's been he's been pretty funny on everything, and it makes it feel good because it doesn't make you you feel like you're you're kind of mocking again him. mocking him. Yeah. He's like going along with it, and like he's like making some funny jokes he about gets it. it. And, Talking about like missing council meetings that he didn't want to go to anyway. Right. Like, oh, this is great. But obviously, he's got like, you know, he's interested in in the process of. He just seems like the everyman. Is that he's the? I think that's it. Okay. He seems like the realistic Tom Hanks. Because I love he's he did remind me of Tom Hanks. I I love the last question where he said, "Is there anything you can say?" about each other that you respect i mean and that question got applause yeah that was and they both handled it pretty well frankly they both had good answers yeah um and i liked the first question which i I forget exactly how she worded it but it was essentially um how do you how do you feel about the kids who are going to see how how you've behaved in this election right i thought that was a good question but i mean in terms of the people who they went to you're you're a muslim woman and you're not you're undecided yeah (laughs) yeah what's the matter with you you're kind of thinking maybe trump come on yeah come on there's no way so i I feel like they they must have just picked them because it was like well this is interesting this is like one of the most interesting people we could have talking about it yeah and ken bone's questions i think were just you know about energy conservation the energy conservation while like keeping the jobs within the coal like i think that was just kind of the intro into ken bones fame i think i'm seeing more and more he's the damn daniel of this month right exactly yeah the thing i'm seeing more and more from uh like diehard trump uh, supporters who cannot be moved mm-hmm. and, and i mean it's always been it's never it's never with trump it's never been why you should vote for me it's why you shouldn't vote for the other person yeah. right from the get-go it's been that that person's a loser. That person's crooked. That person is That's fat. Is fat or whatever. It, and truly, every yeah. time he was asked a question about his own personal policy, mm-hmm. it was what's wrong with Hillary, what's wrong with Bill, and what's right. wrong with ISIS. Like yeah. that's that's always how he answers questions. And the thing that his 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 like his diehard supporters keep seem to be harping on in the comment sections, which I shouldn't be reading to begin with, is that Hillary Clinton is murderous. And this is the word I keep seeing everywhere is that she's a murderer. Right. And I haven't really had a lot of success in finding background on that theory. I know that there are a lot of um, Clinton administrative affiliates who have mysteriously died. Um, But uh, I, I, is what is is that a house of cards inspired <laughs> I theory i don't know i'm not well read they call her killery killer whoa seriously yeah this is a, like a common thing wow and this is like so every and this is really the main defense at this point how can you like a chauvinist uh sexist war crime advocating pig mm-hmm. and they always say well it's better than a murderer right and i'm like wait, wait a second who's a murderer and right. I, i'm having a hard time learning about that side yeah i guess maybe through like the drone strikes and stuff too like i think they're kind of alluding to those things that she was probably in the room for right agreeing on but i I, honestly i don't even know 
we don't hear about the important things. We just hear about the most tabloidy parts of yeah, and just the pussy grabbing, the pussy grabbing. <laughs> you know, we've definitely heard about that a few times. Uh, Jed Bartlett never would have said that on a bus. No. Not not to not to Billy not to Bush, Billy not to Bush. Mario Lopez, <laughs> not to Rick Campanelli. Not to anyone. <laughs> Rick Campanelli <laughs> threw him in there. Rick the temp. Yeah. Yeah, I think he'd be a little bit more eloquent. I think if uh, Donald Trump hired Aaron Sorkin to help out with his campaign, which Aaron Sorkin would never do, no, uh, no. he would be in a, in a lot better place right now. I think the thing I keep getting reminded of is I think it's at the end of the Rage Against the Machine video. I think it's maybe Renegades of Funk. At the very end, it just says, like, in 2001 or in, in the year 2000, like, 40% of Americans will actually vote or like some low number. And it's like, and it's just because of lack of choice. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. There's yeah. a lot of that, but I mean it, and originally there were some people who were, I read a lot of, of Redditors who were, who were kind of on the fence of like, well, you don't have to vote for one of these two people. You can vote for an independent and that's a whole other can of worms. Right. I think that's stupid too, mm-hmm. but their, their independent options suck. Yeah. They're terrible. Right. So that's that's what it is, and we'll find out in a month. Do you think uh, Alec Baldwin is as incredible as everyone else is, is saying he is at the Trump impression? Have we not talked about this? I think he's really good. I think he's pretty good. I think. I, th- I mean, I, I honestly think overall, I think Taron Killams was the best. Yeah, certainly better than Daryl Hammonds. I think Daryl Hammond just pl- just plays this old like '90s version of silly Trump. Yeah, and it's not that good. Right. Like Daryl Hammond's a great impressionist for the time, but I I was. I'm really glad they're not using Daryl Hammond this year. So that's what makes me happy. Right. Yeah, I think Alec Baldwin's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty Better good. than Jimmy Fallon by yeah. a landslide. Yeah. Better than Daryl Hammond. He's definitely got like a, more of like an evil old man overtone about it. He, yeah. You know, it's definitely sinister. Yeah. No <laughs> question. Sinister. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Like Daryl Hammond's was a bit more like kind of like smug and kind of like tongue in cheek but this one is straight up like you know it's it's well and that's the thing is jimmy fallon is just kind of taking daryl hammond's impression yeah and it's very silly right and harmless yes and donald trump at this point is really not harmless no you know no he's like uh he's he's the dude with the hood from star wars episode one uh emperor palpatine yes (laughs) Yeah, he's Emperor Palpatine. There's a new theory going around. Um, you know how when uh, Force Awakens came out, the the biggest question mark was who was Rey related to? Yeah. And that kind of remains the big question. Like initially, everybody was like, well, she's got to be Luke's kid. Mm-hmm. And then everybody kind of realized that that's a little too easy. Right. And Star Wars loves to fake people out with that kind of stuff. Even if you can kind of see it coming, it's never really what it's supposed to be. Also, it's just kind of bad. And she's definitely not... Um, Han and Leia's kid because I mean of course not right do you think um, she's General Palpatine's kid that's the new the new rumor is that not, not kid but that she is a Palpatine oh wow because she has she has this conflicted strength within her right and I don't know all the all the backup on it but it, it checks out it's a good theory whoa that's super interesting yeah ties it into the Palpatines well the other thing is that the First Order seems to know about Rey. Mm-hmm. Like they're aware, like Kylo Ren is aware that there is another and he's almost like he's looking for her. Right. You know, you think he might've been onto her. Yeah. All so right. we shall find out the problem, the problem with, with, with a Star Wars franchise happening in this internet centric world in which we live is that 
chances are everything they could possibly throw at us will have been predicted. Right. Because everyone's just throwing everything against the wall. And and, well, like, and, who predicted it? And this guy. From twists in general can almost never happen. Yeah. It, especially in like franchises and series. Mm-hmm. It killed How I Met Your Mother. I think people would have had a different reaction to the How I Met Your Mother ending if there was no chat boards to discuss the possibility of this ahead of time right. and to sit with it and ruminate over it. Yeah. If it just caught you off guard in the end, you might go, wow, that affected me. I have to admit that was powerful. Yeah, and, and you would have moved on. And Jen was telling me that there was there's a like a group that is super famous for like outing for having like Walking Dead spoilers, and they basically like troll or not really troll, but like hang out with like the makeup and hair people and like get the answers from like them. Okay, and they've been pretty accurate. And oh. and the last season kind of ended with a cliffhanger of like, oh, who died? Like, who did Negan kill? Yeah. And, and do you have any idea who Negan killed? No, you have no idea from watching the show. Right. But Jen Jen was like, hey, you want to hear who it was? Like, this is what the... And you couldn't help yourself. Saying. I was like, yeah, I do. I yeah. really do. I want to see what they said. And then I want to watch the first episode and see if it was true. Will you learn anything from that if it turns out to have been true? Will that, will that keep you from checking spoilers in the future? Yeah, probably. I mean, it's not something I would look up anyway. I think I would probably avoid it if I saw it on the internet. But just the fact that someone that I live with yeah is like knows it too i was just whatever like a show i still watch is survivor like yeah and i'm i i can't i shouldn't even say that with apology in my tone because so many people still watch survivor just nobody talks about it anymore but they they film that whole season right down to the final tribal council so there's two or three people in the end and then they read the final votes on live tv right so it's all been decided except for the final moment Mm mm-hmm for months before it ever airs. Right. And you can Google who is in the final. Yeah. Like survivor pools, don't get into a survivor pool because there's going to be someone in your office who did this. Yeah. And you can find it. Right. You, you have to look because it's mm-hmm. not going to be easy to find because yeah. CBS tries to cover it, but it's not that hard to find either. Yeah. And you're, and yeah, I'm this super- is true of everything because it's always filmed a while ago. Yeah. we're You're one of... At least four people in our station that watches Survivor. I think I knew that, but nobody talks to me about Survivor. Well, I mean, they probably don't know you watch Survivor. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Because you don't talk to them about it. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) That's a shame. I guess we'll never know. I can can give you a list of the people and you can just approach them. I think I know who they are. You do? Yeah, I think so. All right. Yeah. Um, Okay, are we we good? (laughs) West Wing? Uh, do we have anything else about? Uh, do you have you ever heard the expression Mandyville? Do you know what like it's it's kind of like jump the shark? Do you no. know what Mandyville is? It's a it's a West Wing inspired TV phrase oh, that wow. refers to when a character um, leaves a show and never returns without explanation. Right. It's kind of funny that it, that the West Wing got to coin that because it happened like it happened in Happy Days. It's one of the right. most most famous occurrences of, of of Chuck going up the stairs and never coming back down. Um, but in the first season of the West Wing, Josh's ex-girlfriend, Mandy, is a pretty central character, and they write her out. She has no point in the series after that, but they never reference where she went, Mandy, right. so they just say she went to Mandyville. And that's what they say in the show? No. Oh, okay. That's like, like they a, say that in the show. It's like a blog really term right. that was created. Mandyville. Afterward. Wow, and that's in the first season. Yeah. There's also a really cool, this has nothing to do with anything. I just, as a Sorkin nerd, I love this story. Um, There are a couple episodes of the show. 
and Excelsis Deo is one of them, and Two Cathedrals is another one um, that that were like big attention episodes, mm-hmm. Emmy episodes. Um, both were Emmy winners for for Aaron Sorkin. The first of which he had to share with his writing partner, for the lack of a better term, mm-hmm. Rick Cleveland at the time. Um, and I don't know if the network hired Rick Cleveland because they were not friends. Like oh. they they were not. They were not like buddies who went in on the show together. And when they won the Emmy, Sorkin went up alone to accept it and he didn't acknowledge Rick Cleveland. Oh, wow. And so it was just contentious and, and, and Rick ended up leaving the show. And when Sorkin left, Rick got hired back, which Sorkin fucking hated. Uh, they just hated each other. Right. And I think he saw Rick Cleveland as a bit of a, as a, bit of a hack. And in Studio 60, when Matthew Perry comes back and is hired back as the head writer of, of Studio 60, yeah. he then usurps the head writer job of a guy named Rick Tahoe. <laughs> it's which, so on the nose. Which are both communities in Indiana. Right. Um, and, well, and Cleveland's not, but... Cleveland, Indiana. Ohio. Oh, maybe it's Ohio. Right. Anyway, they're both uh, like Middle Eastern, not Middle Eastern, like Midwestern <laughs> sure. um, places in, in, in the States. And, and it's like so obviously, and he's just a, an asshole. He's just a guy who is a bad writer and is lazy. And like right. in every way, Aaron yeah. Sorkin took the piss out of this guy oh God. in kind of a sour, yeah. um, defenseless way. Poor Rick Cleveland. Poor Rick Cleveland. Cleveland went to Mandyville after that. Uh, maybe, or maybe he's like working on Mr. Robot. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> Let's Google him after. All right, we good? I think so. Thanks, pal. Thank you, sir. Never, ever, ever trust Will Smith. Or go outside. But but, what are you doing if you're not going outside, but you're also not binging any television? No, you should binge television. That was the premise of Never Go Outside. No, I know, but I'm asking you personally. You You have several shows that you want to finish watching. Oh, I write fantasy adventure stories <laughs> these <All right>. days. <laughs> and, and cut. <laughs> That's what I do these days. All right. Well, I can't fault you for that. It I'm seems like a, doing like personal projects or, I don't know, reading a book or something. Okay. Or rewatching reruns of shows I already am, I feel safe oh, with. Sure. <laughs> you know? That I need to be a little judgmental of. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Stretch the hell away. Because when you leave, I'm going to probably put on, like, friends. <laughs> yeah, okay. Good. <laughs> Everybody's with me. Yep, I'm on board. Always watch friends. <laughs> <laughs>